0: I am Brooklyn-based psychotherapist Nikita Banks, and I am your host of the Black Therapist Podcast. The Black Therapist Podcast is the podcast where we discuss the unique issues people of color face when dealing with mental health issues and mental health diagnosis. If you would like to reach out to us for feedback or show suggestions, show topics, please feel free to contact us at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com. You can sign up to our mailing list at blacktherapistpodcast.com. Dot com. You can listen to new or past episodes on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. And if you want to sign up to our mailing list or our free mental health course, text "Get Happy" to six six eight six six. Let's get started. Hey guys. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh, oh. So, if you're following me your on social media, and if you're not, shame on you, you should be. On my personal social media page, which is Miss MSNIKI Banks, you will see that I got the proofs of my book back. And I worked really, really hard on this book. Um, I formatted it myself. And so I wanted to get the proofs back before I announced to the world to go on and buy the book. This is my first book I've ever written myself. And I pretty much learned how to do everything that it takes to make a book on my own. So um, since this is my first book ever, I've noticed some issues with the book that... Um, I didn't know that I should have done differently in the beginning and so I wanted to get an actual hard copy of the book and I went through it and hand edited it headed, hand edited it <laughs> this weekend. and so I was able to get it up on um, Amazon and hopefully by the time you guys hear this show, it will be available. I think I did a pretty good job editing it. If you see some typos in the book, then you know that I wrote it because I don't write anything without making mistakes. But you know what? Hey, nobody's perfect, right? The book is amazing. It is a workbook. So I'm just going to give you some advice. If you choose to buy the ebook, buy the print copy because you will be able to get the ebook for like three dollars or something if you buy the the print copy i suggest you have a hand copy of the book it you you can take notes you can write in it um it has sections in it where you can do your own work if you do it on the you have a Kindle or you get the ebook. I think that those are amazing as well because you could just take a notepad and fill in the questions. But the questions is really where the magic happens in this book because I write it in a way so that you can explore your thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And this is a different kind of relationship book than probably you will ever read in your life because it talks about relationships from the point of you as being It talks about relationships from the point of view as you being empowered to be in relationship with people who you want to be in with. And it talks about building relationships from the ground up. So next week, we're going to talk all about the book. I don't even want to get into all about the book. But this week's show we have Dula Shanna Williams who is also a licensed mental health provider and she is gonna to talk to you about giving birth and healthy ways to to reduce the mental trauma surrounding difficult births. Okay? So we're gonna get into that episode now. But make sure you tune in next week because we are gonna talk all about my book. And I am going to share a special chapter with you uh every time I edited the book I kept getting sidetracked by this one chapter and I think we're gonna I'm gonna read it to you and then I'm gonna talk about it and I'm gonna ask a few questions from the book so that you know exactly what is in this book but yeah I'm, I'm very proud of the work that I've put into it it looks amazing shout out to the people that already said that they bought the book i know one of my my followers on instagram said she already bought the book so shout out to her when i get a minute i'm going to give her actual factual shout out on our show next week because i feel like she's the first person that bought the book even before i said it was ready just to support so i think that that's amazing and um yeah if you haven't yet got your copy go on out and order a copy of this book the book is amazing because it will really help you if you haven't gone to therapy but you've been thinking about it it can give you a perspective on stuff that you want to work on in therapy it'll help you explore your feelings before you get to a therapist and I think I've shared before here um Ayanna Van Zant's book, Peace from Broken Pieces, helped me do that when I was in therapy. I've read her book and it allowed me and it's not her book it's not even a workbook, but I read her book and it allowed me to kind of ask certain questions about certain things that I had going on in my life. And it really it really helped me um, navigate therapy in a way that I it was self-directed by me and my therapist explained to me that he really appreciated the fact that he saw that I was doing my own self work but he also saw that I came in with stuff that I really wanted to work in and it helped me target my family relationship issues that I needed to address in therapy so I really hope that this book could do that for you guys it's a different kind of relationship book not teaching you how to get a man but I am teaching you to explore your thoughts, feelings and emotions that drive the relationships that you choose so if you are interested in buying your copy of Finding Happy Seven Steps to Relationships That Will Not Steal Your Joy, it is available right now on Amazon. Okay? And 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 if you buy the book, take a picture of you with the book. Send me post it on your own social media page and Hashtag finding happy at reply me at finding happy seven at reply me at Miss Nikki Banks or at Black Therapist Podcast on Instagram. Okay, and we're gonna repost you. We're going to contact you. I'm I'm looking to like get swag for people who buy the book, like early supporters. But I gotta figure out what that swag is. If you guys have an idea of what kind of swag we should offer, hit me up. Hit me up. Okay. Okay. On this episode. Of the Black Therapist Podcast. We have Shana M. Williams. She is a LCSW. And she has a master um, in ED. I think it's a master's of education. Yes. I don't know why I pretended like I didn't know what that was. But, um, you know, sometimes I have a brain fart. It wasn't a good mental picture. But anyway, Shana M. Williams. And she was amazing. The, the interview is amazing. And this month is, I believe... Yeah, October is so many awareness months, but anyway, we missed uh, midwifery week, which is uh, the week in October, but I, re- I read that, right, uh, October is SIDS, which is Sudden Infant Death Month, Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, and so it was very important for me to have a doula on the show and to talk about the the importance of having a doula and how important it is to have someone advocate for you when you are having a child. I think statistical data shows, once again, I blanked out. Statistical data shows that black women and infants are are dying and have uh, extreme mortality rates because of the care that we we receive and the disparities in care that we receive. Uh, Serena Williams, she told of her difficult birth with her daughter. Um, I believe it was Beyonce told her story of birthing the twins and having complications. And so we, we really have to start thinking in terms of the best ways to bring our babies into this world. And a doula will help. So, on this episode, we talked to Shanna, and we're going to get right into the episode. So, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Shanna
1: Williams. Um, I am a doula and a clinical social worker. My organization is SW Doula LLC. I serve the greater Philadelphia region, and I really work to integrate dual services with clinical social work um, in helping mothers overcome any challenges around physical or emotional health as they go through the perinatal period.
0: Okay. And so when you say perinatal period, what do you mean?
1: So that includes um, the period from when pregnancy begins all the way up through childbirth and during the postpartum period. Um, I also like to really be thinking about that period as setting the stage for that whole zero to three, those beginning years where I, I believe a lot of the foundational things that we learn as mothers and parents and how we care for our children and connect to them really sets the stage for later life.
0: And so I'm very familiar with what a midwife is because when I had my child in the olden days, (laughs) it was a push towards midwives as opposed to OBGYNs. So what are doulas? Can you explain to people what doulas Mm -hmm. are, what your roles are, and why you guys are necessary? Yeah, so a doula is someone
1: who's, Specific role is to provide social and emotional support to the birthing person, to the mother, um, or the person who is um, pregnant. And so that's important because a midwife's responsibility is, of course, caring for mom, but also when the baby is born, they have to focus on the baby's health and the overall process of the pregnancy. A doula's role is really only focused around what's going on for mom or the person who's giving birth what's going on for them in that moment and the people who support her. So that also might mean if grandma's in the room, if dad's in the room or a partner's in the room, what do they need so that we can create a safe environment that's emotionally supportive for mom to be able to deliver the baby.
0: Gotcha. And so, I mean, there are several videos on the internet of like doula diaries. So I've watched, Yes, Isn't that a great show. Uh, you know what? I watched maybe half of one. because mm-hmm. I'm not much on. I don't know. Birth to me is such a traumatic experience. Uh, mm-hmm. my, my pregnancy with my own son was very difficult. Uh, physically, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I think that there are some women that are like built for it, and some women that are not. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm really built for the whole childbirth and thing. Pregnancy right. deal.
1: And you know what's interesting? I said the same thing. As I started to arrive to this area of focus, my best friend was like, are you ready for childbirth? You're going to be in the room birthing babies. And at first I was like, well, no. But I really had to think about what drew me to this work. And I realized that for myself too, I had a pretty difficult pregnancy uh, experience and my childbirth experiences were not what I wanted them to be. And I wish that someone had been there with me through that because I felt like that really impacted how I experienced the period after my son being born and my children being born and then how I kind of dealt with those early years and I reflect back on that and think about it. really. I had such negative experiences that that's where I really wanted to provide support. And doulas play a special role in helping that be less traumatic and folks being more supported, even during the pregnancy period too. So we're there before childbirth even happens to really help people get into a space where they feel safe and supported.
0: Thinking back on my experience, I think I probably would have benefited from having a doula. Only mm-hmm. because, you know, there was there was a lot of, trauma um, surrounding I feel like that word is overused but it really was it was it was very well it's it's Mm -hmm. a traumatic experience period like I don't think people give enough credence to adjustment disorders and how hard it is for us to navigate certain changes that are happening in our lives so that pregnancy is something that's happening in your life but it's also happening in your body and it's different Right. day to day and it's different child to child so mm-hmm. for me my relationship with his dad wasn't the greatest at the time and so that was the first time that I, I found myself going to therapy because I needed somebody else to just tell my, my fears and my worries and my, my drama to that wasn't opinionated and that wasn't somebody that you know had a you know a, a had the life experience or a lack the clinical um, perspective to tell me Mm -hmm. what I needed to hear instead of what they wanted to share with me, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And I think having a doula who had a clinical background definitely would have probably helped me mentally throughout the process.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I feel like that clinical counseling piece that I'm, I'm bringing and also case management is important because like you said, pregnancy is a huge change and childbirth is a big experience, um, but it's also a very typical experience, so sometimes people don't pay enough attention to the needs that a person really has going through that, and um it not just impacts us, but it impacts our whole support system, too. So our partner, our parents, our job, our friends, all of those people are impacted. And the way those relationships can change, can add stress, or it can make things easier with the right support system to help us navigate that.
0: Yeah, I have a a young couple, and they're actually not even my clients, but there's a young couple who is related to my client, and... He comes in, he's the dad, he comes in and explains or expresses his frustration with the changes that are now happening with his daughter's family as a result of the new birth and the other parents not being as supportive and, you know, the the fiancé feeling left out. Like, there are so many different layers upon layers of things that happen mentally with this huge change. And for me, I think <laughs> that I remember being... Young and pregnant and being like, oh, I'm not scared of childbirth because y'all keep having kids. It can't be that hard Just like having the <laughs> ignorance and the arrogance to be like, mm-hmm. it can't be no big deal. Grandma got eight kids. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think that once you you na- navigate that the first time and you realize what an awesome responsibility it is, if you get it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you definitely do, and if you had a negative experience that first time, it can really impact any future decisions you make around having children or how you're going to deal with that. I know a lot of moms I work with will immediately be like, uh, breastfeeding, nobody's doing that. I had a hard time the first time, I'm not trying. Oh, natural birth, oh no, uh uh-uh, that pain was too much the first time, I'm not even trying. Midwife, no, I need to be in the hospital. Like, those first experiences really impact you. And it's not about the choices that you make afterwards or decisions you make being right or wrong. It's just about, did you really make a choice if everything happened in the beginning so, negatively, that you feel like there's only one way to go to avoid it.
0: Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I I, I had a pretty, after birth, I had a pretty easy ride. My kid is, mm-hmm. you know, pretty good. And what I loved about, you know, the medical center where I had my son was that they actually mm-hmm. sent us home with a nurse. So there mm-hmm. was a nurse that came, I think, for about three or four weeks, um, maybe up Mm -hmm. until his first appointment just to make sure he was okay, to make sure that I was okay, and I I think that that extra, you know, amount of care was was so important.
1: Yeah, that was really, really fortunate that you had that. I wish I had had something similar because you do want somebody else to come and kind of keep an eye on, is everything physically okay? And doulas do that as well so they'll come and visit you at your home before your birth happens and then they come afterwards. Um, Some doulas focus only on the postpartum period and so they'll come for several weeks to continue to check in with you and they can they have a lot of knowledge about the physical piece but we're not medical professionals but we're really asking about how are you doing emotionally? How's the environment around you? How are you feeling about all of this? integrating all of this learning
0: and this experience yeah i think that that's a really good support system to have mm-hmm. um do you think that there is more of a push now especially in the black community to have doulas because of the disparity of care when it comes to um black women in childbirth i think beyonce maybe. I'm not sure if it was Beyonce, but I think she had talked about how she had a difficult birthing experience with her twins. And I know that Mm -hmm. Serena Williams was saying that she had um, some, you know, complications with her daughter and people really not, especially somebody like Serena Williams. Like, I can't imagine how I could be giving birth and having an issue with my body and my body is not only my temple, it's my moneymaker. And I'm telling you that something feels different or wrong or not right with my body. And you're telling me no, or you're not being responsive to that. So do you think that there's a necessary push just because of the, the disparity in care of black women to, to have a doula or that additional layer of support um, in the the birthing process?
1: Yes, I do. We do see some states starting to now provide insurance coverage for doulas because they're seeing the importance, particularly around the needs of black mothers. And doulas, um, right now it seems like it's a newer thing and people are starting to pay attention to it more. But doulas have been around since the beginning of time. Um, when someone gave birth and there was someone who caught the baby, that person may or may not have identified as a midwife, but they were someone who knew enough about catching babies to usually catch them. A slave. There was always other folks.
0: Usually like <laughs> right, right. absolutely. Our slave mamas is the ones that was birthing right. everybody's babies.
1: Right, and even prior to that, but um, one of the first folks who came on this, um, first folks who were ever identified as specifically holding the role as that person who supported birth was an African woman who came. So we were doing that before we came to slavery and folks found our skills very valuable for the wrong reasons. Um, but that role has always been there. And then as we move to a more medicalized way of birth, really focused around infant mortality, it made sense that they wanted to make some changes, and the first change they made was, oh no, none of that backwoods. Present, you got the doctor, you got the nurse, you don't need somebody else. Get that midwife out of here with her herbal teas and all of that. Um, and then what we realized was that sterile environment that is the hospital really actually takes away some of those natural methods that were helpful for mothers at that time that midwives and doulas were in use and so now we're realizing we got to integrate some of that back and that's how that midwife midwifery model of care started to come back and then the roles of doulas were identified and once some folks started really looking at that and examining it from a scientific perspective they were like oh This really makes a difference, it improves health outcomes, it decreases the risk of pregnancy complications, it increases the possibility that babies are going to thrive and be really healthy after birth, parents have a much better experience of birth and they talk about that as it relates to their satisfaction with the childbirth experience And so that's why there's really a push around that, particularly for black mothers who are identified as being far more at risk of pregnancy complications and our babies being more likely to die before their first birthdays. What's really scary about the Serena Williams story is it's evident of the problem. When people first started to pay attention to black mothers and black babies having more challenges after birth, their first thought was, oh, well, you know, they're poor, they're not educated, they're in poverty, their partners are in prison or they left, and so it must be something they need to do different. But what they found was that even when black mothers are married, when we are more highly educated, when we have a household where there's two folks in it, when we're living in a good neighborhood, have good jobs, good health care, our babies are still more at risk and so are our bodies. Serena Williams knew what was wrong with her. She told them what they needed to do, and they ignored her until she was gasping for breath. That's a really scary thing to think about that somebody in Serena's position of power or Beyonce could have a challenge like that to the point that you literally got to fight for your own life. And, and
0: like I said, you know, no shades to Beyonce because her body is an a instrument as well. But come on, like Serena, for somebody who mm-hmm. is a supreme athlete, arguably the best athlete in the world, she knows her body. Mm-hmm. She has to know her body. And, and it's to do what it's not going to do, how to push it to the limit. Like, she has to know her body. So, to treat people as if they are not the authority of their own bodies, especially when you know that they are, is crazy.
1: hmm is very crazy and it's really the problem because see for so long the thought was, well mothers must be doing something wrong. But now we know that it's the system, the way that we're doing birth in this country that's a problem. Black women are more at risk along with indigenous women, but white women are dying at great numbers too. That don't make any sense for a developed nation. There's something wrong with the system. For black women, again, as they realize that even a woman like Serena Williams could encounter something like this, we know that it's not just about black women, it's about the systemic oppression that we experience and the racism and disrespect we experience in the medical system that is leading to our outcomes. A vast majority of the deaths that
0: happen are preventable. You talk about uh, perinatal and birth psychology. Tell me
1: a little bit more about that. So perinatal and birth psychology comes out of, um, the founder of it is really identified as Thomas Verney, uh, but really the Dr. Verney's focus, and there's several folks who have come behind him, is really connected about consciousness and having a conscious um, approach to getting pregnant, being pregnant, going through childbirth, and experiencing the postpartum period. And as we have increased consciousness and we're aware of how our emotions are impacting us and our babies and our, the folks around us, we know we've got to increase levels of support. We know we've got to do things different in childbirth. And ultimately, it reduces that traumatic experience that a lot of folks feel they have during the birth period, which ultimately builds bonds that's going to be helpful as someone grows into adulthood. Okay.
0: Because I've never, I've never actually heard the term um, birth psychology. Right. And, you know, I
1: hadn't heard it either. But I, the concepts they were talking about made a lot of sense to me. And I knew we were talking about it in other aspects of social work and, and mental health. But I had never heard it phrased in the way that some of the language that they use. But the concepts make a lot of Is sense. Is
0: the concept focused on the mother or the child or the mother and the child? hmm the mother and the child
1: so what we know is that when a baby is in the in the mother mother's womb of course they're connected and they're one person. And so when a baby is born, especially the way the medical system approaches it, is they're two different people. The pediatrician takes the baby one way, the OB or midwife goes one way with the mom, and then you bring them together when they think they need to come together. But what we know, what attachment teaches us, is that really mom and baby are still like symbiotic. They depend on each other, they're connected. And so you, anything that happens to mom impacts baby. Anything that happens to baby impacts mom. They're one system and you have to approach it in that way. And you have to provide care for both of them in that way. And then there's a system around them that also impacts their experience. So, if there's challenges in the romantic relationship, challenges in the family, challenges in the environment, both mom and baby are experiencing that together as one, particularly in those very early months after the baby
0: yeah, born. I had a whole lot of challenges when it came to being pregnant with my son, so I can imagine mm-hmm. what it, it could look like for somebody who don't have the presence of mind that I have, didn't have the resources, and the education level that I, I had. I mean, it can be very difficult. Yeah. Or for a teenage mom or someone yeah. you need You need that. You need someone else. Right, right. That's right. And even moms, particularly because our culture, the way we do
1: birth and the way we do family is not really natural to the way we're, we're naturally supposed to be. We're very individualistic in our country. Well, really, you really need a community around you. And so even folks who are at higher levels of education, making money, corporate jobs, Fortune 500 companies, are having their babies and they're going home and they're barely getting any maternity leave and they might not have people around them to support them. They might be able to buy a nanny, right, or pay for a nanny that takes care of a baby, but that's not about both of you. So there's still pieces that are missing, even for those of us who are at the highest levels of power around what's needed. And I know for me, part of the reason why I started doing this work was really because, like you, I had a really challenging experience, and um, I really realized that... That is where I needed support. And the way that I, the, to best do that is in the form of a dual that can be there, not just coming to visit you before and coming to visit after, which is important, but they were there for the birth. So they really have that whole story and they know how it informs later periods of as your child grows and as you continue okay. to grow as a parent. So you're a
0: licensed clinical social worker, correct? Yes, and I am. What, is, what was your training like for your clinical experience?
1: So my training is really around um, trauma-informed systems work with families. So that was really where my career started, um, working with families, in particular where the children were exhibiting behaviors that were really challenging. They were hurting themselves, hurting other people. Um, And I specifically focused on sexual trauma because I also have a background in sexuality studies. And so when I worked with these families, What I found was I was using all sorts of different techniques I was pulling in, cognitive behavioral therapy, and narrative therapy, and all these different things. But the whole time I noticed that there was a lot of work that needed to be done. Most of the time these families came to me and their children were adolescents and we were trying to rebuild things around attachment and how the parent functioned and the support around the parent. And I realized that, first of all, a lot of these families, these children had challenges and maybe a trauma history, but the parents also did. And so I had to treat the parent just as much as I had to treat the child and then treat the whole family system. And then I also found that things as when I did the family history, stuff had started before the child was even born that was feeding into some of the challenges that were happening later. And it started to hit me that this work that I'm doing is really important, but someone needed to be here at the beginning to support this parent. These behaviors probably would not be as extreme as they, were, as they are now if someone had been here early to really provide support with the knowledge of a trauma-informed professional as they're going through the childbirth and postpartum period in those
0: early years as they're learning yeah. to What's parent. The one thing you, you say that your population needs right now? Well, one thing I'm thinking is my population
1: really needs a lot of resources. So they need a lot of financial support, um, and they also need support in the uh, natural realm. So they need parents who have an understanding, or community members that have an understanding. They need their partner to have an understanding of their needs, and also understand that they are equally important. Some ways that I address that is I put on my um, BSW hat and I'm like, let's do some case management. Let me make sure you're connected with community resources. Let me make sure you're connected with the support group and you're connected with uh, this person that will call in and check on you and make sure you get resources as your child starts daycare and those sorts of things. But then when I approach the parent, from the beginning, I'm involving the system in some way, shape, or form. So her partner's got to be a part of it. The grandparents are going to be involved. I'm going to be talking to them in the birth room as much as I'm talking to her. I'm going to be helping her plan around what their involvement's going to look like. Because those natural resources and community resources are so important to helping moms make that beginning steps into motherhood.
0: And you said currently now most doulas are not covered by insurance. So how would you find a doula? So you can find a
1: doula in a couple of ways. If your provider, um, whether you have a midwife or an OBGYN, is aware of a doula that they've worked with or they know of, they can get you in connection. One of my clients, her midwife was like, find a doula, do this, do that. Um, But for those of us who maybe have not had that conversation or other providers are like, I don't know what to tell you, if you go online, there's some um, websites that link a lot of doulas uh, in one place, so you can select who's best for you, doulamatch.net. I believe, or .com um, is one place where you can go and find a lot of doulas. If you're interested as an African-American person and you want another doula of color or another black person, there's a National Black Doulas Association, and they have a list of doulas in each state that uh, specifically look like us and understand our needs from that uh, personal experience How you
0: perspective. as a doula? So as I started to
1: look into what could really help families in that early period, and specifically around reducing infant mortality. I came across a doula who is known as the queen of the midwifery movement. Um, She actually trained Erica Badu, who was also a doula. Um, Yeah, yeah, so uh, Shafia Monroe, and she has an organization. She used to be the founder of, excuse me, she was the founder of the International Traditional uh, Center for Childbearing. And then she formed her own organization that trains doulas. So I trained with her. And her approach is really around public health and around African-centered postpartum care. So those midwives that were maybe just a few generations and even during slavery, they learned those early ways of providing support. They didn't just birth babies. They came during pregnancy and cared for people. They came afterwards and stayed in those first early months. They were coming to visit the parent regularly, and they were part of that community. So that person knew how to get in touch with them if they had any questions. Some of those doers cared for people throughout their whole life because those folks in those rural areas didn't have access to some of the doctors and things like that. So she tra- she learned their ways of doing it, and then she has trained us to continue that legacy. So I really loved learning with her. I went to Baltimore and trained with her for a period of time, and continue to stay in connection with her as I continue my studies. So, um, what
0: brought you to this work? Com- completely, like what made you want to be in the clinical field? So um,
1: as a social worker, I really came to this work starting off as a sex educator. And then I decided I wanted to be able to really impact people with some of the other issues that were coming up in their edu- uh, in their life experience. And that's what drew me to social work and what made me um, want to continue on and working in a therapeutic concept. And then um, as I started to do those work, that work with families I was speaking about earlier, that's when I started to really kind of figure out my professional niche and then I became a mother and when I had my first child in 2012, um, I lost him to stillbirth and then I had a miscarriage. And then I had my third son um, and he was beautiful and healthy. My birth was not what I wanted to be. I went with a midwife and um, she injured herself in a birth right before my son was born. So a few weeks before I was planning a birth with her, I got switched to a doctor and I experienced the other side of medical care and it was really disappointing. And it was not helpful for a mom like me who was especially nervous. So when I had him, I tried to breastfeed, I had a lot of challenges there. I did not get much support from my family around that, but I managed to do it. Um, And then I went back to work and I immediately got hit with postpartum depression. And so, one thing about me was I knew how to get to the resources and I knew how to research, like what is going on? Why is this so challenging? And I found out that black mothers are at much, much more of a risk for having challenges after birth. Our babies are more likely to die before their first birthday. Meaning, and that includes stillbirth and miscarriage. And it also is an uh, issue for us with breastfeeding. We breastfeed at significantly lower rates than other races in the United States. And we know that breastfeeding is really good to increase maternal mortality and increase, uh, excuse me, decrease maternal mortality and decrease infant mortality. So why weren't we doing it? And when I started doing community work around that, the answer was, well, there's something black mothers need to do different. And I was like, that can't, that can't be it. Like I know a lot of black women who are really dedicated to having a healthy birth, really dedicated to breastfeeding, really dedicated to raising their children well, and we're having these challenges. It's got to be something else. So that led me on a scholarly pursuit. Um, And now I'm in my doctoral program looking at the impact of trauma on black women's breastfeeding experiences and ultimately the impact of doulas and how we can be helpful in that manner. But when I looked at my professional experiences and combined it with my personal, I had to sit in a spiritual place and say, why did I have such a hard time? And why um, are my families that I'm working with having these experiences? Where is this coming together? And that's when it really came to me that I was like, this is where I need to work. I need to do community work. There needs to be... um, work that's done at a level where I'm working with county folks around really helping folks in my own community. And then once I did that, I got bit with the bug to do more in-depth work individually with folks, and that's how I started my practice.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think that I think that, that makes a lot of sense um, in terms of, like, the lack of support that you get from your community, especially with breastfeeding. I was lucky enough to be able to breastfeed my, my son until he was – a year and a half. Mm-hmm. That's great. No, no That's mm-mm. it wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, it was hard. It was. Uh, it wasn't. I won't say it was hard. I think breastfeeding is kind of like a, a accomplishment that I have over kind of like mm-hmm. the other mothers. You know how we are. We a little bit. We we can be mother snobs uh, because my sister <laughs> was home with her kids, but she didn't breast. She didn't breastfeed for as long as I did, which I kind of get in a way mm-hmm. why she didn't, because she had these other two kids that they were running around and um, mm-hmm. it just made more sense to her to do it for as long as she can do it, or when it was convenient for her. But my son, he mm-hmm. refused, once I started breastfeeding, like even about maybe mm-hmm. a weekend, um, I think somebody mm-hmm. tried to, his dad came, came over and he was trying to give him the bottle and Um, He would take it from his father. And I was like, what's up? Why is he taking the bottle from you? He won't (laughs) take it from me. But he refused to take it from me. He was like, nope, nope, uh I smell you. Um, I want you. (laughs) And so I would have to breastfeed him when I was around. But he would, as long as he, my sister was like, if he gets hungry enough, he'll eat. And he would take the bottle from them. I didn't have to worry about nipple confusion or anything like that. Because when he was with mm-hmm. me, he, or he only wanted me. He didn't want the bottle. He And the good news for me was, uh, you know, I saw my, my older sister go through with my niece and my nephew, you know, breaking the, the habit of the bottle and, um, you know, breaking the habit of pacifiers. Because kids get very attached to these things. And I never had to do that because my son went from the breast to the cup. Mm-hmm. Breast, cup, sippy cup. And that was it. Like, he was stuck in from straws, mm-hmm. like, at, like, six months. So, I, I never mm-hmm. had to deal with, with those those issues. And I remember it being a year and a half in, and I went to his, my my doctor, who's just his pediatrician, and I was like, when can we stop breastfeeding? And she's like, you still doing that? <laughs> and I'm like, I, you didn't tell me when to stop. I didn't know when to stop. <laughs> but But the women... I found were extremely unsupportive about it mm-hmm. um, and women they you know if I was around and he he needed to you know be fed they would be like oh why are you pulling your breast out or like I have to feed this kid like this is what they're this is, this is God's mm-hmm. intended purpose for them I know that they look nice and you know fit well in a dress but this is why I'm supposed mm-hmm. to have them <laughs> And right, there were a right. lot of Black women who were extremely unsupportive about, yeah. you know, just seeing it or me doing it. And I was just like, they're just breasts. <laughs> <laughs> right, right.
1: You know, I, I I like that point you were saying about, like, this is a real accomplishment. And it really is because our society doesn't really support breastfeeding. Um, and I would add that... Um, I don't know if I'd go with the mother's thing, but I do get exactly what you mean. I understand it totally. Like, you're like, huh, I, I did this, and then you might be looking at another mother who may not have made that
0: choice. And it's like, well, I managed it, you know, and I, I did I this, and I had this I to overcome. I get it, I why it's different for yeah. everybody. And I, I didn't want to be, yeah. I, I became that mother, but I didn't want to be that mother, because I had an older cousin mm-hmm. who also breastfed, and like, I would see mm-hmm. her grown child with teeth walking up to her trying to get up in her, her shirt and i was like i can't i can't handle five-year-olds trying to get up in my boobs now that's not gonna work right. for me. Yeah. but i still i think that's what like i felt like that when he was like a year and a half and he started to get teeth i was like when can this stop because i don't like this anymore like i'm this is a problem <laughs> but i understand right. it. those early days the pain the the getting them to latch on not making enough milk like i didn't have those a lot of those issues the 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 pain yes but just getting used to Mm -hmm. the the sensations like it's just a weird experience and Mm -hmm. if you're not thinking of like what you're there to do and knowing that this is what your body is supposed to be doing naturally then it it feels extremely unnatural
1: Yes, yes, and I think that piece you made, uh, that point you made about like everybody's situation being so different and if you don't have a knowledge base or you don't have support around you or you're know, or you having a lot of challenges, a lot of that can make the difference in whether someone continues breastfeeding or not. And what we know is that people need a lot of support. Um, they can't just pop a baby on like on, on TV. You just pop the baby on and they nurse. If you see it on TV, because you don't see it that often, but when you do, that's what it looks like. And that is not people's experience. There's all sorts of things that come up that can make it more challenging. And our community as a United States, we don't really wrap around moms. Instead, they're saying, oh, please don't breastfeed in public and cover up and all of that. Your job's not giving you support to take a pump break and all these other factors that come into play. And then when you add on the issue of black women's experience in America in particular, that further complicates it because our bodies have been vilified or over-sexualized or ignored or told that we're not desirable. And all of that plays into what we experience. Also, unfortunately, a lot of us have experienced sexual trauma. That makes a big difference in what breastfeeding is like for you. And,
0: And culturally, I mean, culturally... When I think of breastfeeding, or I think consciously when a lot of people thought of breastfeeding, if they were informed about the history of this country, they thought of Black women as wet nurses.
1: Right? Right. So
0: we were giving our milk and our babies' milks to the white people's children, and they were, we weren't giving it to our own sometimes. And so, you know, just looking at us as commodities, <clears throat> excuse me, as, looking at us as commodities, And not looking at us as human beings who through breastfeeding you're making this human connection I think that that's yeah I think that that also impacts the way we look at it
1: that's it absolutely and one of the terms that is gaining in popularity now is this concept of social cultural trauma or historical trauma so when our Breasts and our milk has been ripped out of our own baby's mouth and forced to be given to another baby, right? It it really builds this history around the mistreatment of black women and their bodies that leads into some of our conceptions that we have about what breastfeeding means to us. And so when we see another black woman breastfeeding, the comments that we get can be anything from, girl, that's nasty, or don't know when no hanging mm-hmm. hanging off. You know, all these sort of comments like that, or you gotta get out of here with that. In my, own, in my family's home, I have a family member who is very, uh, had a lot of issues with me breastfeeding. I'm not allowed to breastfeed in their living room. I have to leave the room. And that sort of thing is related to like her own stuff. It has nothing to do with me, but that's how she feels. And I know that that comes from a historical place even before you get to your own lifetime when who knows how the doctors might have treated you. At one point, doctors were really discouraging moms from breastfeeding. Oh no, give them formula. And they were doing that sort of thing. So now to see so many women trying to go back to breastfeeding feels upsetting. And for some people it feels like, are you trying to judge me? Cause I didn't do it. My baby's fine and they didn't breastfeed. So what are you trying to say? So all of that kind of packs into the experience that black women have with each other when it comes to breastfeeding. But it's also why it's so important for black women who have had positive experiences and black women involved in birth work or who work with women in the perinatal period to have representation that looks like us. So we can relate culturally about what your experience is. For a person who doesn't understand me to say, oh, you just need to make the decision to breastfeed and then everything will be fine. They have no idea what it's like for me to try to breastfeed at church or to try to navigate these jobs and know that I'm already in a position as a black woman maybe who might be the only person on staff. I can't push back if the boss doesn't give me enough of a a lunch break or a break to go uh, pump my milk or how my family might be responding to me or how my partner responds if I breastfeed in public and how they feel about that. We really need people who understand what it's like in our cultural context to be able to really help us think through how to navigate any challenges as mm. they arise.
0: I mean, that's a mouthful because I remember being on the bus with my, with my son and like I said, he refused to take the bottle from me and I had the bottle and he was maybe a... a Mm-hmm. Month or month two old, three months old, and he was screaming at the top of his lungs, and I knew he was hungry. And there was nothing I could do because I was definitely mm-hmm. not going to pull my breast out on this public bus. And I remember giving mm-hmm. him my lip because he wouldn't take he wouldn't take any other nipple, so he wouldn't take the mm-hmm. pacifier. He kept spitting it out, so I gave him my skin. Mm-hmm my bottom lip and he sucked on my bottom lip and my mm-hmm. lip was swollen for like three days yes because oh my he gosh, gosh. Yeah, I would have never skin, thought to do that that's a great idea that, and it quieted him down mm-hmm. but when he was like girl I ain't no milk coming out this thing he, he, he it, but it did soothe him <laughs> but I was like yo I had to I was just frantic because mm-hmm. I knew he was hungry and we were on our way home and I was trying to get him there but he was strapped. He was strapped to me in a carrier. It was. It was literally no way, you know. In the wintertime time, to take my clothes off. And hit, like mm-hmm. it was. Just, it was like not gonna happen. And he refused to take a bottle, and I was like, "Well, you want. You right. don't want it your way. You just gonna have to wait till we get home." But I was. I remember feeling so defeated that day, and then I had this big old swollen lip. Yeah, <laughs> after that. But yeah, like oh. dealing with that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I remember, oh gosh, the battle. The battle between him and his dad over this, these breasts. Because my son was like, uh uh-uh, uh, you better not even think about yes. coming over here for that. Like, don't even, like, he, went, whenever his dad would come close to me, he would come and lay on my breast, like, you better get your, and look at him, like, you better get out of here. Like, she belongs to me now. <laughs> And so, yeah, you know, right. thinking about that, those yeah. things and the lack of intimacy and the, the things and challenges that you have to deal with, I don't think people even consider the amount of support that they had. And I, I know for me, I was extremely lucky because I was able, my sister lived around the corner from me. And when I first mm-hmm. gave birth to, to my son, she lived, I lived with her. And she had a six-month-old, mm-hmm. and I had him. So she did the day shift, and I did the night shift with the boys. And so, like, wow. I never had the experiences of, like, not having enough sleep or, you know, waking up too too groggy or my partner not wanting to help out. Like, there was always help. Yeah. Right. Oh, that is
1: awesome. And that's really the type of communities that we need to be able to survive. Um, I know that one of the things I talk to other social workers about when I talk about the importance of breastfeeding and and the perinatal period and supporting parents, I'm like, listen, you come in the house and you're like all these rules about, oh, this many people can't be in the house. Well, we need to get you your own place. You also need to understand that that extended family that might be living with them is a support system so that that mom can get extra sleep, so that somebody can hold that baby or take care of those older kids while stuff gets done. We have to really think about that when we're assessing families and assessing somebody's environment. And your sister, it makes me think about this concept and I had my sister-in-law who saved my breastfeeding relationship because when I first came home, when I first nursed my son in the hospital, I I was having trouble and the nurses, tried to help but they really weren't very helpful and then a nurse came in the room and said well your son is not doesn't have enough wet diapers and the doctor is not going to discharge you if you don't give him formula so you need to give him formula and i was like what but I, was, I wanted to be discharged. She was a medical professional. I wasn't going to argue with her, so I gave him formula. And when I came home from the hospital, my mother had not breastfed. My mother-in-law hadn't breastfed. No women in our family had really done it. None of our siblings had been breastfed. So nobody knew how to help me except my sister-in-law, who had breast was breastfeeding my niece. And she's the one who pulled me aside and helped me. And in the literature, they're starting to realize the importance of these breastfeeding Mm -hmm. champions. There's got to be somebody in your life who's going to support, even if they didn't breastfeed, but they're just creating that space and holding it for you so you can get your needs met so that your breastfeeding relationship can be successful. And we
0: had a lactation specialist. And if had it not been been for Mm it. And my son will be 21 next week or so. Um, and so, it, had it not been for the fact that we had midwives, and had it not been for mm-hmm. the fact that my 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 hospital was progressive for the time that we had a lactation specialist, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have kept on have kept on with it because that initial latching on is not easy for everybody. And I remember going through the pain of him latching mm-hmm. on in the beginning, and I was like, I don't. I don't like this I don't because so I would have mm-hmm. easily given up
1: early on yeah and most most women do that's why your uh, one provider when you came back at that time number was asking when does this stop they were like you're still yeah. doing that because most women in the United States those first two weeks is when we quit because that's the hardest period of time and then as you continue on it gets easier and easier and really the, nat- the natural age or the age when most kids stop breastfeeding can be anywhere from like ages three to like five. And in the rest of the world, that could, that's totally normal. But in the United States where there's not a lot of us breastfeeding, right, and there's all sorts of reasons for that, which includes big business. Pharmaceutical companies own formula companies. So you better believe there's some reasons why we're getting it pushed on us. Um, but when all that's in play, a lot of folks are not... The the formula's right there. I'm not going to keep going through this if I don't have support and I don't have access to a lactation consultant or or my family is not supportive. Just give me the formula. I'm not going to push back. I'm going to just do that. Well, that's
0: what you know what also is right there, your breast. I mean, it was the easiest thing in the world after mm-hmm. a while because... I, yeah. You know, if you sleeping in the bed and the baby sleeping in the bed, I like I didn't have any of that. I have to wake up and feed the baby. The baby smelt me. I smelt him. I looked over, plopped it in my mouth, and I went back to sleep. You know what I mean? Like, yes. it, was, it, yes. it definitely was a lot more cost effective than buying formula. It wasn't <clears> something <throat> that we had to spend money on. I just had to make sure that what I was ingesting and I didn't because I was young, too. But making sure what I ingested was healthy enough and Making sure I drank enough water so that I was able to make milk. But it, for, for me, I think mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. breastfeeding was probably the easiest thing about having a kid because it, it was very convenient. Right. The stuff, the anxiety that I had around feeding a child and being able to take care of them and waking up at night and the 2 a.m. feedings, like breastfeeding for me made that so much easier.
1: Yes, and
0: most moms
1: get if they get to that point,
0: they get over that hard hump. Past those first three months, past
1: those six months, it's like it's so easy, and it really is. It calms your baby. I always tell people, I'm like, I gotta figure out how to calm a baby. That's not breastfed. because all I did was you crying. Okay, here you go, baby. Go to calm down. Go back right to sleep. You was good. Um, it can be so easy, cost effective, helpful. Um, but there's so many barriers in place that for a lot of moms, when it's still in those early stages and they're struggling, they get the formula is so readily available for a lot of moms and a lactation consultant is not as available. I know we're trying very hard in our community to increase the access to lactation consultants, because if you're on a waiting list to be seen, those first three days are crucial. Those first two weeks are crucial. You can't wait. Your baby is crying. You need support right now to get help in breastfeeding. And it's also important to have lactation consultants, again, who understand where you're coming from culturally and can provide support to you around navigating it from a very personal yeah. perspective. It really
0: makes me sad because these are things that as a young mother, I just took for granted. The You know, I, my sister had... Three children, by the time I had him, we both obviously were pregnant at the same time with, the, with her, she, her third and my first. So we were went, after, mm-hmm. and my other sister was pregnant too. We were like three, three, and three. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. All three months apart. So uh, it, was, it was easy for me because I had this additional layer of support. But because my sister had already had children and she had kids with the midwife, the same person who Mm -hmm. um, brought, you know, delivered her children, delivered mine, delivered my son. And so Mm -hmm. if it had not been for the access, I don't, I probably would have went to an OB. I probably would have just went with whomever. I didn't ask for a lactation specialist. It's just the hospital provided it. I didn't ask for aftercare for a nurse to come. The hospital provided it like not having the information, but having Mm -hmm. the access to those resources to me made all of the difference.
1: Yes, yes, and we need more hospitals to be able to do that. Um, There are some hospitals that are identified as uh, baby-friendly hospitals in the United States where they really do support, are very heavy on supporting you with breastfeeding and supporting you with having the type of birth experience that Uh, makes it easier to breastfeed. If you have a very, very traumatic birth, it's hard to want to breastfeed and sometimes your body won't really cooperate because there's an emotional piece of it too. So you need a lot of support to get through it. Um, and I do want to say there are um, some hospitals that are also really moving towards being supportive around that with remodel of care or integrating some of those things that are done that can be helpful in birth to make things easier for moms and providing that connection to lactation consultants afterwards. Not enough though, and so the work continues.
0: Yeah, my, the, the hospital where I had my son had actually closed down,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it I was don't... it was it was a wonderful experience just like I remember even our, our birthing rooms were beautiful mm-hmm. and gorgeous view of like the New York City skyline like it was beautiful 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 and so you know that to know that these are things that I wouldn't have even thought of in terms of experiential mm-hmm. of, of extras that I received because I wouldn't have even had the information to ask for these things So the conversations definitely have to be had. And I'm so grateful that there are people like you out here doing that that work, but also with an interdisciplinary view of how to provide these services. That it's not just this or that, it's this and that.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Okay. Tell the people how to find you.
1: So you can find me on my website is Doula all one word, dot com and um, my Facebook page is really where I do all my social media stuff I need to get more savvy but for right now that's the best place to find me and if you look me up Shauna S-H-A N-N-A Williams L-C-S-W-M-E-D you'll be able to find me Um, and my email is Shauna S-H-A-N-N-A at
0: myswdewler dot com okay and what does being a black therapist mean to you Being a black therapist to me means
1: connection. I'm able to connect with folks in a way around their health and their mind, their bodies, their experience, but not just as a person, also as a person in the United States, a person of color, a person of African descent in a way that adds a special aspect to any therapy services I provide.
0: Okay, how do you think being a person of color Informs your practice. Being a person of color brings
1: in a personal aspect of the knowledge that spirituality, our environment, and our communities and families play in our world and in the experiences that might be bringing us to treatment.
0: Okay, well, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate you and what it is that you do. I learned so much today about you know being a doula and peri. Wait, what is it? Perinatal. Psychology, as well as birthing psychology is not even mm-hmm. something that I thought about. Yeah. And as my, my baby becomes a young man, you done know, took me down memory lane <laughs> on my own birthing experience. So uh, it lets me know that that's not something I think I ever want to do again. Yeah, I think that it's great that you are able to provide these services for a community that so desperately needs it. We we need so many things. Mm-hmm. We need so many things. Right. yeah
1: And we are strong and we are resilient and we have that within ourselves. And I just hope that I can bring out some of that legacy that we have in the work that
0: I do. Yes. Well said. Okay. So thank you. Thank you so much. Once again I want to thank our special guest Shanna M. Williams who is an LCSW. She has a master's in education and she is also the founder of SW Doulas LLC and I want to thank you guys for listening. Again if you have bought my book Finding Happy 7 Steps to Relationships That Will Not Steal Your Joy make sure to post a picture of yourself and the book and tag me on any of my three Instagram pages and we will repost you. Matter of fact I'll post you on all of them. How about that? Okay. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Black Therapist Podcast. Once again, you can follow us on all our social media sites at Black Therapist Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter as well as Black in Therapy on Facebook or you can follow your host, me Miss N i k i Banks on Instagram and Twitter as well as you can find out any information about me at Nikita, N-I-K-I-T-A Banks.com and on the show's website, blacktherapistpodcast.com. And don't forget, if you want to send us any general feedback, show suggestions, uh, show topics, or guest ideas, please feel free to drop us an email at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Be well.